summer 1988, my dad had just accepted a new job. We were moving from Panama City, Florida, back to Albany, Georgia, where I was born and would eventually graduate high school. We lived uh, most of my early life in a single-wide trailer and in various places, and now it was time for us to move back uh, to sort of our roots and where we grew up, and we were moving back into this single-wide trailer, and we were moving in a nicer trailer park this time, and it was... Uh, I, I don't remember much, but I remember uh, that this trailer park had a really, a really fancy name. Uh, and, and I remember thinking, okay, this, this must be a nicer place for us to live. But it had these windy roads and these beautiful ponds with all these ducks that, by the way, ducks are angry, angry creatures, um, which is why I'm an avid duck hunter. Um, I'll, anyway, that, that's my, my, my issues. One of the great things about living in a trailer is when you move... You can leave your stuff right where it is. You know, you don't have to pack anything up. And so my family, as we were moving, we just, we, we left our stuff right where it was. And we were rolling out of that trailer park in Panama City. And in this particular trailer park, too, there were these windy, curvy roads and, and there were these speed bumps. It was known for its speed bumps. And so my family and I, we hopped in the car and we were leading the way uh, you know, the trailer has wheels, so the guy attached it to his big, big tow truck, and he was ready to pull out right behind us. And as we were coming around the windy road, we heard the sound. And it was a sound we had feared one day we would hear with this old trailer. And we looked back. Thankfully, it wasn't what we thought. The trailer was actually right side up. But... There were a lot of speed bumps. This trailer had seen a lot of years. And we looked out, and in the middle of the road was all of our stuff. The floor had collapsed. The trailer had broken. And everything bowed in, and there it all was. My home broke. And I remember thinking, you know, this is a mess. Um, I don't know what my dad was thinking. I'm sure he was thinking a lot of things he probably didn't need to be thinking. It took my dad many, many weeks to repair that trailer. He had a trusty helper, me. And he did a really great job. Lots of plywood, lots of hard work, and lots of effort repaired the foundation and the floor, uh, despite the fact that we had about three or four permanent humps in the hallway from where eventually the plywood would warp. Uh, It just happened to be in the way of my room. But it was fun to roll cars down the hall at that point. Jesus talked a lot at one point in his life, about houses and foundations and the collapse of houses and foundations. Except this time, Jesus is trying to help us understand something a little more eternal. And so here's what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house upon the rock. The rain fell, the river rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the river rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. It's a very popular story for, for Christ followers, and so popular that we even wrote a song about it, somebody did, with a, you know, and, and we sing it to our children, right? How does it go? 
Uh, the wise man built his hand. We do all these little hand motions, and we teach our kids this song, and we, we really try to capture the message, and we understand the moral of the story, or, or the message being that if you take what Jesus has said about life and about himself and about who God is, and you build your life on that, and you trust him for who he says he is, and you trust what he says is true about life lived in this world, when the storms come, your life won't utterly collapse. The winds of the storms will pound at you, and they will batter your life. But you will stand, you'll live well, you'll suffer well, you'll be dramatically affected, but God will bring a sense of restoration and healing in your life because you built your house upon this foundation of Jesus and his word and your life can be restored though it may look profoundly different than what it was before but you build your house upon that rock and Jesus would call you sensible or wise on the other side there are some of us Jesus is saying who will build our house upon sin where we'll where we'll choose the foundation of our own it will be our own beliefs maybe what we think is right or wrong maybe our education maybe our family values maybe things in and of themselves that aren't bad but they're they're still going to be sand when the storms come and and as a result of building our life upon those things when the winds come and pound at our lives our lives will collapse and Jesus said the collapse would be great and our hopes and our peace and our joy and our dreams and our goals, they'll collapse with our lives and our sense of purpose will collapse. And Jesus said that when we do that, we, we, are, we are foolish. And that's usually how we teach that story and that's usually the sermon. And, and so we say, okay, hear the word of God and go live it. And that's true. That, that, I, I think that's true. But there's something else I want to call our attention to today. Because this is a life-shaping conversation for us. This, this message here. There's something that the foolish man and the wise man have in common regardless of their foundation. And that is this. The storm came to both of them. And it pounded both of them. The storms of suffering and sorrow, trial and disappointment will visit all of us. And its winds and its effects will pound our lives, regardless of where we built our life. I had a man once suggest to me, if you want to raise your son and raise him well, then teach him, by all means, teach him to suffer well. Because suffering will come. In the State of the Union Address of 1962, John F. Kennedy said in regards to our current economic condition, the following. The time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. JFK drew from what he believed to be a 19th century American proverb. And I think what President Kennedy was trying to say was, Right now, it's not as bad as it could be. The sun is sort of shining on our country's condition. And the time to identify the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities of our country 
and our state of existence is not when the storm comes, but while the sun is shining. After all, who wants to climb on top of the house to fix the roof when the storm is really, really falling hard? Who will have the strength of heart to do that? He was calling the country to be proactive, not reactive. He was calling the country to not put off to tomorrow what really could be and should be done today because after all, today the sun is shining and tomorrow the storms could, could blow in. And so we need to enjoy the sun and we need to bask in its warmth, but we need to also be at work to identify the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities of our lives so that when the storms come, the roof has been repaired. The foundation is certain. When the winds blow and pound at our lives, we may be battered and we may be bruised, but our lives won't collapse. See that the trouble is when you're in the middle. When you're in the middle, everything you do feels like a failure. And everything you see seems like it's a failure. When you're in the middle, everything is a failure. Because you have nothing sure. What you had is gone and what you're going to try and strive for you haven't received. So when you're in the middle, it just seems like a, a failure. And you, know, you may know in your head that you're somewhere between tragedy and triumph, but you're in the middle. And it's hard to live life in the middle. And I think what President Kennedy was saying to our country would be good advice for us and would follow the teachings of Jesus very clearly that when the sun is shining on our lives... We need to repair the roof. We need to be honest with our weaknesses and vulnerabilities, and we need to draw into who God is and allow Him to bring the needed repairs of our lives. Perhaps it could be said that all of us have experienced different kinds of storms in life. Either way, a storm, no matter the degree, is a storm, and the winds can be felt. Life storms can come at us like light rains, hard rains, thunderstorms, and hurricanes. Many of us have experienced the terrible storms of life where pieces of our life have been stripped away. Many of us have experienced the worst of storms where it almost seemed like our lives were going to collapse and be destroyed. Some of our family is in the midst of a storm, and in their lives there's no ray of light, no sunshine in sight. Some of you who are in that storm wonder if the sun will ever rise again. But there were times in our lives where the sun was shining. There are times in our lives where the storm had not yet come. And what Jesus is trying to encourage us and help us understand is the foundation that we have chosen to build our lives upon or the foundation that we from this point choose to build our lives upon will dramatically affect how we live in the midst of the storms. Whether we live well and suffer well or whether we live poorly and suffer poorly. And Jesus is calling our attention to this reality of the world. Some of us right now feel like there is no real hope because we're in the middle of the storm. I read on one very precious person's Facebook status that life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass, but learning how to dance in the rain. 
When you're in the storm, you're in the storm. And where you built your foundation, if your foundation is sure, you might be able to dance. If your foundation is weak, you might not be able to dance. And Jesus is calling us to be aware of this foundation upon which we build our lives. And we choose which foundation to build our lives upon. But the choice for us needs to be made not when the storms have come. The choice for us needs to be made when the sun is shining. Some of us right now feel as though the sun is shining in your life. Maybe the clouds are a little there, you know, a little gray. But for the most part, for the most part, the rains aren't pouring down in your life and there's a little sun there. And what I've discovered, (coughs) excuse me, in, in ministry and in just life in general, and you see it in the movies, people really draw into God or press into God when what? God is all they have. It's that proverbial story of the man whose life falls apart and he falls to his knees and surrenders his life to Jesus and he goes to church. Or you meet that guy who comes out of this very deep, dark place in his life, maybe even comes out of prison and says, I need to get me some religion. I need to go to church. And oftentimes we wait till the storm comes before we begin to press in to the Lord. And I think what God is trying to help us understand in light of this story and what we need to realize in light of the world in which we live is that when the sun is shining, we don't need to wait till the storms come before we work on our marriage, before we work on our children, before we work on our faith, before we work on our peace and hope and joy. We need to repair our roofs while the sun, while the sun is shining. No matter what your circumstances, I think, as far as I can see it, three things are certain. Storms of suffering and sorrow, trial and disappointment will come to all of us. We must learn to suffer well. We can learn to suffer well. And what foundation we choose to build our lives upon will ultimately determine how well we live in the midst of the storm, whether we dance, whether we suffer well. We must repair the roof while the sun is shining. Andy Stanley, he's a pastor, North Point in Atlanta made a statement that I'm fond of. He said, in the beginning, Adam blamed God for his troubles, and man has been blaming God ever since. The reality is we live in a broken world, and we live in a broken world that we find the root of its brokenness back to the garden when sin was chosen. The sickness, the hunger, the death, the disease, the pain that we see in this world is a result of the garden. It is a result of the sin that was chosen in a world that has fallen under curse. It is a result of free will. It is a result of the sin that we see everywhere. And so the sickness, the disease, the pain, the, the, the betrayal, all of those things. There's a reason why Jesus is bringing restoration and making all things new. And there's a reason why glory, when Jesus comes back and returns, there's a reason why those things won't exist. And there was a reason why those things didn't exist before the fall of man in the garden. Is That's because God did not create us to have to live in that place. But because of sin and because of all of the things, because of the 
the call and the fall, I'm sorry, the fall and the curse of the world, we now have to experience this suffering and this sorrow. We will experience this suffering and sorrow. We now experience this trial and disappointment. But Jesus has overcome that in his death and in his resurrection. And we are called to remember that indeed Jesus has overcome that. But it is hard to remember that when you're in the midst of the storm. Jesus has freed us, church, from the bondage of the suffering and the sorrow, of the trial and disappointment, of the slavery, meaning that because of what Christ has done and the presence of his Holy Spirit within his people, our lives do not have to be utterly defined, dramatically changed, never the same, but utterly defined and collapse because of the storm. They don't have to. But because we're free from the bondage, it doesn't mean we're going to be free from the experience. Because we live in a world that is full of its sorrow and suffering and full of its trial and disappointment. I realize that this is an easier, this is easier preached than lived. I've had my share of sorrow. Pales in comparison to some of you. And I believe that there are some storms that are worse than others. But storms are still storms. Suffering and sorrow is still suffering and sorrow. And we're going to experience it here. But we do not have to be in bondage because of it. And that is the life-shaping conversation we have to have. And we do that together. And we cannot buy into this false notion because many Christians buy into this false notion that if you're just in the will of God, you will be safe. Matter of fact, we, we, we derive, I, I really adore how Christians develop this bumper sticker theology. You, you familiar with what I'm talking about? Um, you know, Jesus saves. Good, that's, he does, and Good. Um, and all these different bumper stickers that we put on there that espouses these beliefs and these religious truths and the bumper sticker of the safest place to be is within the will of God. And we, we, sort, of, we sort of promote that. But I have a real struggle with this bumper sticker. Hebrews chapter 11, it's a chapter that Christians lean upon. It's a chapter that we, most of us, really, really appreciate. We, we've deemed it the Faith Hall of Fame because it's full of stories of people who, <coughs> excuse me, were in the will of God and living for God and experienced victory in God even in their own present life. And, and that is true. That can happen. We, we don't need to live long-faced and we don't need to live joyless. That is the point of Jesus' story. We build our house upon the foundation of who he is and his teaching and his word and we draw in together and we live life that way. We, our lives don't have to collapse. And we see in Hebrews 11 lives who didn't collapse. And we, we go to that and we really, really like the first half of Hebrews 11. But many times, and I don't know how many times you've heard a sermon on it, uh, we don't really like the second half of Hebrews 11, and rightfully so, because in the second half of Hebrews 11, God's people who are squarely in the middle of the world of, will of God uh, come head to head with the gritty, nasty, dirty suffering and sorrow of life. The writer says this in verse 32, And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel and the prophets. 
who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Yes, we like that. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Yes, we like that, but not the rest. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they may gain a better resurrection. It's victory. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheep skins and goat skins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of these. They wandered in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. The will of God is not safe. But it is certain. And there's a difference. God is on a mission in this world, and it is a dangerous mission. Because he's calling his people to climb into the very pits of hell and fight the spiritual battle that exists. And reach down for those who are living life in hell and point them to the cross and point them to the resurrection. And tell them that they weren't created to live that kind of life in hell and they don't have to live their life in hell. And that at times can be a very dangerous mission. And just because we're in the will of God doesn't mean our life is going to be free from the experience of sorrow and suffering and trial and disappointment. And just because you are in the midst of sorrow, suffering, trial, and disappointment doesn't mean God is pounding you either. We live in a broken world. But we also live in a world who has a God of love and mercy and grace and justice as a sovereign king who is on a dangerous mission and called us to be in that mission. And what will often happen is there will be a battle for our hearts. And the enemy will come and he will exploit our weaknesses and he will exploit our vulnerabilities. And he will do anything he can to create this sense of suffering. And God at times might even lead us into suffering. That is biblical. But I will agree with at least one bumper sticker that's out there. That what God has brought you to, he will bring you through. He will not call you or lead you into something that he is not willing, wanting, and able to give you the strength to live through with joy and with peace and with victory. But we have to go back to what Jesus said. Where have we built our lives? Where have we built our houses? We must know that the storms of suffering and sorrow, trial and disappointment will visit all of us. The question is, will we suffer well? And I know this sounds typical, and I know this sounds churchy, and I know it sounds religious, and even perhaps it might sound a bit trite, but I think this too is what Jesus is saying. We need to know God's word. You need to know God's word. God doesn't just want to inform you in who he is as much as God wants to form you by who he is. And that forming work comes when we sit before the word of God and we trust who God says he, says he is despite our circumstances and beliefs. And that we trust that what he says is true about life is indeed true about life. And the only way we're really going to be able to know that is if we sit before the word of God and allow the word of God to come into us and allow the word of God and what God is saying about himself shape us. 
transform us and so that we may trust him more in the midst of the storm so that we can indeed suffer well because the fruit of the spirit even in the storm is still joy it's still love it's still peace somehow somehow it's still those things And even if God is leading us to the storm so that we can be strong, he's leading us to the storm so that we can be strong, so that we can come out of that storm a more mature, stronger, enduring heart, enduring soul. Who knows? So that maybe one day when other people find themselves in the midst of the storm, whether God brings them to it or or the enemy leads them to it or life just hits them in between the eyes, you as one who's endured and who's been strengthened and who has gone through the storm that you have seen God redeem and that you are seeing God restore, you may be just the person to speak the word of encouragement and hope. You may be just a person to look at them and say, here's what God is saying about himself. And I know you, don't, I know you may not even want to hear it. I know you don't even believe it. But, but in love and in grace and in mercy, here's what God says about himself. And, and, and don't, give, don't give cliche answers. And please don't give that, oh, give it to God kind of answers. And I, I don't mean to offend anybody, but, but that doesn't help a lot of times. Because sometimes we don't even know how to give it to God. And that's sometimes the struggle of the storm. But we can all fight for one another in prayer when those storms hit. And if you've gone through that storm and come out dry over time, you might be the person to sit with them and love on them and listen to them and maybe point to some promises that God has made and lead them and encourage them to base their life upon that foundation and not some foundation of emotion or even pain. It's like Hebrews eleven six says. It's one of my favorite verses. It's in the same chapter. Now without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. And here's my favorite part. And rewards those who seek him. God is not going to play games with our lives, even in the midst of the storms. The object of our faith is what strengthens us, not the strength of our faith. Does that make sense? It is not the strength of our faith. Do we need strong faith? Yes. It's not the strength of our faith. It's the object of our faith. It is the God that our faith is placed in. And even when we struggle to be faithful, he is always faithful. And so he gives us one another to call one another's attention to his faithfulness. He gives us his word. He gives us his word, his promise, his unchanging eternal word to remind us that he is always faithful and he is ever present. And when Jesus died upon the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God will remind us that Jesus, in some weird, amazing, unimaginable theological moment, that God separated himself from himself so that we would never be separated from him again. Jesus was forsaken so we would never have to be. And he will call us to remember these things and to build our lives upon these truths. The people of Israel found great strength at times in the midst of their exile, in the midst of their storms, in the midst 
of their temple being destroyed in the midst of the suffering and the persecution and the slavery that they were led to. And often they found this great strength and this great peace through the Psalms. See, the Psalms aren't just mere poems and writings for us to merely identify with. They're not about us, the Psalms, even though we will use Psalm 23 and we will use these Psalms and we'll find great peace and hope in them. And, and I believe that is a beautiful thing, but, but I want us to, to understand something, just one, one little thing about the Psalms. The Psalms are not about us. The Psalms are created and are there to cast a vision of who God is. And you will find in the Psalms the rawest of emotional experiences. You will find in the Psalms God's people, whether Asaph or David or, or some other unknown psalmist going through the storms of life, whether people trying to kill him, kill his family, or whatever the case may be. And you will find them clinging to a picture and to an image of who God is and being honest with who God is, being honest with how they feel, letting God know what they feel, because what they feel will not scare God off of his throne. He wants to know, but he wants us to draw into him. And so you see that in the Psalms. And so the Psalms become a formative worship experience for God's people because the Psalms become their songbook. It becomes their hymnal. It is what they worship to. And in that worship, they get to worship to these great pictures and these great images of who God is, and it forms them, it shapes them, it changes them, it strengthens them. And it was this painted image of God that they might learn to suffer well. So I wanted to read Psalm 92. Because this is a psalm I feel that we, there's many psalms, but we can draw strength, we can draw hope, we can be reminded to repair the roof while the sun is shining, not just when the storms come, if we worship through the psalms. The psalmist says, It is good to praise the Lord, to sing praise to your name, Most High, to declare your faithful love in the morning. And your faithfulness at night. With a ten-stringed harp and the music of a lyre. For you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you have done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hands. How magnificent are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. A stupid person does not know. A fool does not understand this. Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be eternally destroyed. But you, Lord, are exalted forever. For indeed, Lord, your enemies, indeed, your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have lifted up my horn like that of a wild ox. I've been anointed with oil. My eyes look down on my enemies. My ears hear evildoers when they attack me. The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courtyards of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green. To declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness 
in him. You have here the psalmist drawing upon the works and the promises of God, not their experiences of God, not what they've been told about God, not what their emotions tell them about God. You have here the psalmist drawing on the objective work of God, what God has done in the hand of human history to remind that psalmist in this midst of a time where enemies are are right at their feet, where the evildoers are whispering in their ears, this psalmist is in the storm and the suffering and the sorrow. This, 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 This psalmist is in the trial and the disappointment and this psalmist at this particular time and this psalmist's life looks back at the words and the wondrous works of God and finds some sense of strength. And I believe it has to be a supernatural movement that does that. Because some of us in the midst of storms read that and say, whatever. But if we sit down and we just let that come into us, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe the Spirit of God will remind us of who God is. Maybe we will be reminded that He is faithful in the morning and that He is faithful at night. And even if the sun is shining on our lives, we don't need to wait till the storm comes. We can go to this psalm and we can be reminded right now while things are good, while things are great, that God's faithfulness is there in the morning and His faithfulness is at night. We are positioned in the midst, in the middle. We are sandwiched between His faithfulness. And we trust that. And if we just press into that, though we may struggle to believe that, we will be like a tree planted in the courtyards of the Lord. And just as when a drought comes, the tree's roots press deeper into the ground to find strength and water in life, we too might have the grace and the strength from God that when the storm comes or when the drought comes, that we will press deeper we'll press deeper into who God is and our foundation will become more certain and maybe we will learn and maybe we will be empowered to suffer well. While the sun is shining in your life when everything is going fairly well and you're gainfully employed, your loved ones are healthy or your mortgage is on time, know God, be in his word to fully know him, be formed by him and trust him more so that when suffering comes you might suffer well. When the clouds have set over your life and you can smell the storm coming, know God and be in his word now to fully know him. Be formed by him and trust him so that when suffering comes, you might suffer well. While the storm is falling and the winds are blowing and pounding away at your life in God's grace, may you know God. May you draw into his word to fully know him and be formed by him and trust him more so that when suffering is still present, you may in God's grace, suffer well. And may we as a church family rally around those in our midst in love and in grace and above all in prayer who are suffering so that they may be lifted up, so that they may be called to the faithfulness and the wondrous works of God, so that they may somehow suffer well. 